welcome into the newest edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It's almost surreal that opening day is right around the corner. We have made it through the, the offseason, almost through spring training. It's time to start getting to some games that count. All of these fantasy baseball teams that we've drafted, it's time that we start actually getting points in the columns or start accruing statistics or just total points overall. It's time for the season to begin. So with me, as always, kicking off the first, well, I guess this isn't technically the first in-season podcast episode, but with me as always, Matt Sells at The Sells Man on Twitter. So Matt, how is everything for you, my friend? Things are pretty good. Um, had a bit of a hectic weekend, wound up drafting my home league team that I wasn't really supposed to draft. I had sent a proxy, but chaos ensued and I thus drafted it. Um, so that was unexpected and fun and tiring at the same time. I had a really good NASCAR weekend, despite the chaos of the NASCAR race on Sunday. Um, so y'all should check out my content going forward because we're on a roll here. We've we've had pretty good playbook the last couple of weeks. But um, turning our attention to baseball, I'm pretty excited about it. I know that you and I don't have that much to be excited about from our favorite team's perspectives, given the Pirates and the Nats. Um, but I do take a lot of pleasure in watching teams develop, right, and watching young talent get better and learn from mistakes and whatnot so that four years from now when the window opens for probably both of our teams uh those mistakes are in the are in the past and we get some some fun baseball to watch going forward so i am excited for the 2023 baseball season not to mention the pitch clock makes the game much more enjoyable it does make it faster yes it does it does make it faster the enjoyable i want to see it in the season kind of play it out from there we'll see how it goes but it has made things faster that is for sure but matt we got to talk about some injuries here it seems like unfortunately every week there's a big name or at least highly relevant fantasy player that succumbs to something uh and this week happens to be guardians pitcher tristan mckenzie uh terry's major i did um ask my wife who's in the medical field because i said terrace major and she quickly corrected me right there so it is terry's major um, he is not going to throw for two weeks. No ball, no touching it for two weeks, but he could miss up to eight weeks. So if we're saying basically two months from now, we're talking late May, you know, that's seven-ish weeks of the season. Say two of them would be two start weeks. It looks like fantasy managers might need to be, be prepared for McKenzie to miss, I don't know, anywhere from maybe seven or six on the low end to maybe 10 to 12 starts. Um, what are you, what what do you think about this whole the the whole injury to McKenzie and what fantasy managers should be doing to prepare? I mean, you can't drop him, right? Going to give you two thirds of a season, and two thirds of Tristan McKenzie is better than a lot of other pitchers' entire seasons. Um, so if you don't have an IL spot, I'm sorry, that's not great, but you're going to have to eat a bench spot for two months. Um. But in the meantime, I don't know where Cleveland goes exactly. I mean, I know they have, like, Hunter Gaddis who could fill in. You've got a few other dudes who could probably spot start um, when needed. But it's going to be a little bit of a – I mean, it definitely takes the air out of the balloon of the Cleveland rotation, right? Because if you have Bieber and McKenzie as the one-two, that's a pretty good one-two. Um, but Bieber Savali is not nearly as good of a one-two, right? Um, 
I don't think it's going to be six starts. I think it's more in the 10 start range, right? If you figure, let's just say one start a week for eight weeks is at least eight starts. And if a couple of those are likely two start weeks, even early in a season, then you're talking 10. So you're getting probably at best 22 to 24 starts from him. And at worst, I don't know, maybe, maybe 18 to 20. Um, so it, it definitely stinks. I'm not sure where you're going at this point after the draft. It's not like there's a dearth of starting pitching out there. Um, you could try to go snag, I don't know, Tyler Wells maybe <laughs> for the Orioles who made the rotation um, or cherry pick somebody from the Yankees who are going to be rotating their, their rotation like every week at this point. Um, yeah, not not really a whole lot we can do other than hope it's not longer than two months. And the one thing, too, looking at this down the road, and I'm more so just speculating here, but you mentioned it with the, the, the talent of the rotations now taking a little bit of a hit. Outside of Bieber, Savale, Quantrill, Plesak, and then I insert fifth starter here, whoever it is or whatever rotation they run out there, if all of those guys are going to be four-plus ERA guys, could a, could a, one of our elite closers in Emmanuel Classe maybe see a few less save opportunities in the beginning of the year just because, you know, you would figure with Classe you had, you know, two-fifths were of those games are aces throwing in McKenzie right. and Bieber. We're now looking at one-fifth because Savale, Quantrill, Plesak, and company, none of them are ace material. So I'm not freaking out about Classe, but it might be something where through the first two months of the season, despite pitching for a team that we think is at least decent, he may not be racking up saves like many would expect in the beginning of the season. Yeah, I mean, the onus is certainly on the Cleveland offense to get you save opportunities at this point, right? If you suppose that four of those starters are four ERA guys, then, you know, that equates to four runs every nine innings, right? So if you're assuming that, that they're going to give up about four runs before the ninth inning, then in order to get save opportunities from Emmanuel Classe, you need the Cleveland offense to obviously score five or, you know, five to seven runs, maybe eight, and he comes in with a tying run in the on-deck circle. But that's that's asking a little bit much of this offense. I mean, I know they had a pretty good run last year, and I know they added some pieces um, this offseason, especially with Josh Bell. Um, Mike Zanino, who's got pop and basically nothing else. They're expecting good things from uh, Oscar Gonzalez and Josh Naylor to have, you know, a big year at first base. But consistently putting up five runs a game is pretty tough to do. And so, yeah, early in the season, I would suspect that this is going to deflate Emmanuel Classe's save chances a little bit unless we get just spectacular Sorry for the background noise as my cat won't leave me alone. Um, you know, it, it's going to deflate Class A's save chances a little bit here. but And it's not like they have an ace in the waiting in the minors either, right? If you look down in the minors, okay, there's Logan T. Allen. He's okay. He's a mid-rotation guy at best. Peyton Battenfield is okay. The luster got knocked off of him last year when he – Went to AAA and couldn't strike people out. Um, Gavin Williams has gotten a lot of um, 
talk, as has Tanner Beebe, but both of those guys are not aces, nor are they going to be up as close as people think. So I'm with you. It's not like Class A is unusable, right? It's not like because one starter is out that Class A is now a terrible closing option. He's still probably the best closing option in baseball without Edwin Diaz on the mound. But you just have to assume that if you were expecting about 35 saves from him, you might only get about 30. Yeah, and it's something, too, where, hey, maybe it's a buying opportunity. Come a month, maybe someone's frustrated with Classic because he's not getting saves. Throw an offer out there because when McKenzie comes back, I mean, they can't get worse. So, yeah. I mean, it's something to, to kind of keep an eye on here in the beginning part of the season. Now, Matt, let me ask you about this. Fully healthy in a vacuum, okay? Yep. Right now, top four starters for the Yankees are Garrett Cole, regardless of the order that you think they're in. Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez, Domingo Herman, and Clark Schmidt. Some sort of that four with Cole being number one, obviously. That's their top four. Four starters that are injured, and right now that are injured, Severino, Rodon, Montas, and Luis Gill. You could make an argument the hurt starters, when healthy, are better than the four that the Yankees currently have. Like There is so much talent injured for this team right now, and it's it's this isn't like a hold-you-so moment. But for all the critics, a.k.a. you, of how the Yankees have mismanaged their rotation in handling depth and everything, it is all coming to light, unfortunately, all at once. Yeah, I mean, and by the way, to make matters worse, guess who's injured again? Harrison Bader. Guess who's not injured? Jordan flipping Montgomery. Um, good job, Cashman. Yeah, I'm not letting that one go. That's That was an atrocious trade when it was made, and it's only getting worse. Not to mention that Scott Efros is still coming back from Tommy John and probably won't be back this year. Uh, Tommy Canely is injured and isn't going to be back for a while. Trevino is injured. So the bullpen's taking hits too. And now you've got untested dudes in the rotation who some of – are also coming back from injury. Like, Domingo Herman hasn't pitched a full load of innings in a few years. Nestor Cortez, there's always concern about his innings load. Um, who the heck knows about Johnny Brito, who's technically in the rotation right now, only because there's four dudes who can actually pitch who uh, are injured at the moment. So, I, I don't know. Like, the, there's good news about Carlos Rodon that he was able to throw some bullpen and didn't get re-injured and his arm isn't sore. However, he still has to build up innings, right? He didn't get basically any innings work done in spring training, so he has to build up innings. Severino, who knows, man? Strained lats can take a while for pitchers to come back from. Um and sometimes they escalate into other things. Like you strained it because you pitched weird and then you try to fix it and then it bleeds into other parts of your mechanics and you strain something else. Clearly, Louis Gill's not coming back for a while. He didn't have Tommy John until the middle of last year. So at best, he's midseason this year. At best, if not like August. Um, and Montas, who the heck knows at this point? Like, can we trust anything with this guy? No. Like, even when he was quote-unquote healthy last year, he sucked as a Yankee. Like, was terrible. Um, So, 
I, I don't know. It's all the more reason why I, I'm pretty sure Toronto's winning this division this year. And it's with Rodon, too. Uh, he first acknowledged the elbow soreness in early March, uh, March 5th to be exact. As we're recording this, it's March 28th. It's 23 days, and we are we are only up to 30 pitches in a bullpen session. Right, that's not great. Also, he dealt with it last year and didn't have anything done to it, which is a little concerning. Like, how could anything on a pitcher's arm be okay to let go for an entire season without, like, medical intervention? Yeah, I I don't know. That, that pitching staff is in shambles. That offense... Talk. We talk about how the it comes. The onus is now on the Guardians' offense. Talk about the onus that's on the Yankees' yeah. offense. But it's a good thing they play in the little uh, launching pad of a stadium, so they'll be able to put up runs. But will they be able to slow the other team down from scoring runs? That is going to be the big question. And in Cincinnati, Joey Votto is going to open the year on the injured list. Votto is what he is at this point. I guess if you want to look at it, if there was any concern about Will Myers playing time in the beginning, which there shouldn't have been. He's going to be locked and loaded every day. TJ uh, Friedel seems to be locked in at center field, and then it looks like both corner outfielder spots are likely going to be platooned. I don't know if really anybody gains a ton here. Will Benson seems to be the, the flashy name, um, but is there anybody that really sticks out here with, with Votto opening the year on the IL that intrigues you from, for a fan, from a fantasy perspective? Not really. Maybe... I don't even know how Barrero would find more playing time, but maybe Barrero gets a little bit more playing time. He has played a little bit of first base. Tyler Stevenson can, you know, go to first base because they have they're carrying two extra catchers um, at this point with Casale and Male. Um, so not really a whole lot of um, intrigue to me. Um, I don't know. I think the top half of this this lineup is pretty interesting and and can produce some pretty nice numbers. The bottom half is a little sketchy for me. Like Kevin Newman is there because he plays pretty good shortstop, but the bat he's a contact guy, mm-hmm. um, as you know from his time in Pittsburgh. There, yeah. um, he's basically a contact guy with a little bit of speed. Is he going to hit a few more home runs? Yeah, but everybody hits a few more home runs in Cincinnati, so I'm not even giving him credit for that. Will Benson is yet unproven. Um, And, yes, he was on Cleveland like last week, and then they traded him to Cincinnati. So that's why we're saying Will Benson on Cincinnati, who's probably going to be a platoon guy. Spencer Steer is intriguing to me. I did draft him in my home league, to be perfectly honest, as a fairly cheap corner. Um, I would like to see him a little higher in this lineup. Um, and then DH is just going to be whoever the heck's left who wants to get in the lineup that day, to be honest. So the bottom half of this lineup is concerning. Top half, I'm perfectly fine with everybody from India to Friedel to Myers to Stevenson to Braley. Yeah, it's there's some intriguing piece of it. Like I got Friedel late in a lot of drafts. Will Myers was a guy I liked early on, and then he even got a little bit expensive as kind of draft season went on. So yeah, this lineup is kind of, uh, it's a tale of two halves, essentially. The top half is pretty good. Back half, not good whatsoever. It's really going to be in the matter of the platoon, I guess you could say, and then Steer's development 
if steer can or if two of those guys say can pan out well that'll help the bottom half of that lineup which subsequently right. will help i mean senzel should be back Correct. soon from the toe surgery i don't think for it's what major... he'll be back for what though a couple weeks and then he'll probably just get hurt again probably get hurt again i mean that that happens and by the way whoever saw the clip of alexis diaz making jose ramirez look absolutely ridiculous with one pitch on a strikeout, please don't overdraft him. He's a solid closer, but he's playing in Cincinnati. The ERA is going to take a hit, and you still have question marks in the rotation outside of Green, and I would say Lodolo is a little overrated, but um, please don't go, oh, well, he just made Jose Ramirez look ridiculous. I want to draft him, plus he's Edwin Diaz's brother, so he's got to have pretty good stuff. Don't overdraft him. Yep, I agree. I do like him a lot, but don't overdraft him. So, a lot of a lot of this part of the spring training is talked about the youngsters. Like we all know, like I saw a tweet that Shohei Otani made the roster. I'm good, good to know, glad to know. All of the youngsters that was in doubt. Yeah, yeah, but you do that with every team. Like O'Neill Cruz made the team. Great, we all knew that, but. Some teams, Anthony Volpe gets the, or, well, he really gets the job and makes the opening day roster. Yeah. Oscar Colas made the opening day roster. Jordan Walker, Bryce Terang, just to name a few, are guys that made some opening day rosters. Of these of these guys here, each is kind of intriguing in their own way, right? Like, Terang yeah. has got some tools. Walker's, uh, Walker and Volpe have obviously set spring on fire, and Colas has been very good and has a very good hit tool Um that seems like he could he could play well in that lineup in Chicago. But of these guys for 2023, if people haven't drafted yet, these guys are going to go through the roof. That's just or they already have. Right. That's just going to happen. But expectations for 2023, what are we thinking like for these guys? Like I, it seems like to me, Walker and Volpe are going to get the most fantasy hype because they seem like they could be the most. Fa- I don't want to say fantasy dominant because I don't know if they'll quite be dominant, but they'll they'll have See, a layer of success to them. But here's my question. Is Oscar Colas actually the best fantasy play of these guys? Because he I don't be, think he may any, not have competition. I don't think there's competition for Oscar Colas. I don't think there's anybody that's filling one of those outfield spots that he's going to take for the White Sox. Right? Like, Volpe is starting shortstop. However, you can make the argument that most Yankees fans would actually prefer to see Volpe starting at second base and Peraza starting it short for a better glove tool, right? And and then what, trade trade Glaber for a not pitcher and just some other big slugging outfielder? I mean, I'm not saying that you get rid of Glaber, but, like, you also have Oswaldo Cabrera who could fill in and what – there's, like, there's a bunch of moving parts in that, and IKF is still there for some bizarre reason. Like, there are a bunch of moving parts with the Yankees, and while it's great that Volpe made the roster and he's going to bat ninth, he's also batting ninth. So, like, A, his at-bats are down. B, sure, he's theoretically got whoever's leading off for them as backup, but how many innings, like, is that actually going to affect Volpe, you know, add value to, to Volpe? And I'm not trying to criticize Anthony Volpe. He's a phenomenal player phenomenal young player i'm just saying for 2023 fantasy baseball right now i would rather have oscar Colas of this group because the same goes for jordan walker can you definitively tell me that guy's going to get every day at bats 
I think how he's typed, I think the beginning of the season performance is going to go a long way because they have, especially St. Louis has so many bodies. Like you could look at that team and say, Oh, Walker's going to play. Well, what about Dylan Carlson? Well, he'll play center. Oh, well, what about Tyler O'Neill? Oh, well, what about Burleson. DH? Yeah. There's Alec Burleson. There's Nolan Gorman. Like that team is, he's going to heat. Like if he's going to have to hit to yeah. maintain that job. Now, can he do it? It, it seems like it. But, By the way, he's never getting time at second or third base. Like that's he's not supplanting Nolan Arenado, and he's not going to take second base away from either, you know, Edmund or Brendan Donovan or whoever else they want to stick there on a day to day basis. So he's going to have to hit in left field. And again, he's towards the bottom of, you know, they also have Nolan Gorman they could stick at second base too. So like. Walker is towards the bottom of the Cardinals lineup, which again you expect young young guys to do. Bryce Terang in Milwaukee, like he's going to be hitting towards the bottom. Sure, is he right now the starting second baseman? Yeah, but that's a pretty tenuous spot. We've seen Milwaukee go through like four second basemen in the last three years. Like, there's no. There's no guarantee that they don't just stick Brian Anderson back at third base and Luis Urias back to second or a Demis or, you know, there's a bunch of different things they could do. So for me, it's Oscar Colas who has power for days. He's got a little bit of speed um, that he could, you know, steal a handful of bags, but nobody is taking that outfield spot. Nobody. Gavin Sheets is not good. Sorry. He's just not good. So Colas has the clearest spot to play in time for me. And to be honest, I think that's arguably the most complete lineup of the group. Aside from maybe the Cardinals. Yeah. Let me, I know we're not allowed to do this, but I'm going to do it. I know we're not allowed to say anything bad about these super exciting young prospects because it's supposed to be all lollipops and rainbows and we're not allowed to say anything bad, but just keep in mind, Volpe does have 15 strikeouts and 54 at-bats. Correct. That's pushing a 28% rate. And Jordan Walker, if your league values OBP right now in the spring, his 15 strikeouts and 65 at-bats isn't, isn't bad. That's not overly concerning. He does only have two walks and 65 at-bats, though. Now, I know the counterpoint to that is, well, it's spring, so he's pushing to make the numbers and the team doesn't want to see him walk. They want to see him hit. I get that. Just keep in mind, if your league does value OBP, Walker, unless he starts taking ball four, just keep that in mind. I know we're not allowed to yeah. say anything bad about these guys because we're just not allowed. Rate, though, Miguel Vargas wasn't allowed to hit <laughs> in spring training, and he walked like four times out of his first eight. Right. Appearances. And everybody in the building, including the opposing team, knew he wasn't swinging the bat. And they still walked him, and not intentionally. Like, the dude literally took four pitches out of the zone that were close. So, yes, I get that you're trying to prove a point with a bat, but there's other ways to make the roster, and teams value you getting on base. And we've seen that, you know, strikeout rates have been the downfall of a lot of young guys. Like, Keston Hira is now out of a job in Milwaukee. And he was a candidate for Rookie of the Year like three years ago. Um, Because he just can't 
hit. He strikes out too much. We've seen the problems with Jared Kalenic, who, yes, has looked better this spring. But again, it's spring training. I don't know how much we want to bank on spring training numbers when it comes to Jared Kalenic, who seemingly is a quad A guy. He crushes triple A pitching and can't hit MLB pitching in the regular season. So I'm, I'm with you. Like, we're supposed to be all high on these young guys, but there is a reasonable chance that they don't work out and they get sent down to get regular at-bats. Because the problem is if they don't hit, they're going to get taken out of the lineup because the MLB team doesn't have time for them to not hit and sort it out for most of these teams who are competing for playoff spots, right? And if they want the guy to get regular at-bats and hit every day, they're going to send them down so that they can be the starter at a lower level. Yep. Uh, quick thing to add. Uh, Cleveland and Andres Jimenez are finalizing a long-term contract extension. That's per Jeff Passan on the Twitter machine. So it looks like Cleveland's going to start looking to lock up, you know, doing Cleveland things. That's what they're yeah, going to Somebody else was looking at a long-term deal, too, I thought. That I yeah. saw. Uh, Nico Horner. Got a three-year yep. three-year extension with the Cubs. He got extended. And then Zach Meisel on Twitter, I hope I'm saying that right, at Zach Meisel, M-E-I-S-E-L, said the Guardians are in advanced negotiation with multiple players on contract extensions. Uh, they've discussed with Andres Jimenez, who obviously just signed, Ahmed Rosario, Tristan McKenzie, Stephen Kwan, and Trevor, I'm going to say it's Stefan. Uh, yeah, Trevor Stepan or Stefan, either way. Yeah. So they are Cleveland's looking to lock up some guys there. But let me let me let's go to Clinic because he's not the one I had listed here next, but we got to talk about him. Not every prospect makes it, not every young gun makes it. Here's the thing. In our Discord, we're getting a lot of questions about Kalenic. We're getting, and rightfully so. I mean, he's been good this spring, hitting 353 with an OPS north of 1,000. Here's the thing. His spring training career, he's a 290 hitter with a 944 OPS. In the regular season, Jared Kalenic is a for his career is a 168 hitter with a 589 OPS. Yep. Spring training numbers matter, but we now have a very consistent track record of he, like you said, he crushes in spring training, comes to the regular season, and the time that he got the longest stint and back in 2021, he struck out 106 times in 337 at-bats. He has 167 strikeouts in his major league career solely in the regular season, and he has 500 at-bats. Yeah, that's not good, you know. And the strikeouts, even when you look at it, excuse me, in this spring, he's got 13 strikeouts across 51 at-bats. Good for him, still high overall. So the biggest hole in his game, he still hasn't addressed. So why why am I to think that he is going to be the Jared Clinic we all thought he was going to be years ago this season when arguably in other spring trainings he's looked just as fine? Agreed. And this is what I've been trying to tell folks. Yes, does Kalenic still possess the highest upside of any guy who's questionable to make a roster? It's hard to argue that there's anybody with a higher upside on the bubble like Kalenic, right? But it's also hard to argue against his track record at this point. We've seen him in the majors in parts of two or three seasons, and it hasn't gone well. And then people go, well, he went down to AAA and crushed it. Okay, there's a lot of dudes who can hit AAA. There's a lot of dudes who hit AAA and then come up and cannot hit. 
in the majors. It happens. Some of these top dudes flame out. And yes, the entire baseball world thought Kalenic was a can't-miss prospect and had him as the either number one or number two prospect in baseball, basically when the Mets traded him or shortly thereafter. It happens. Like, same thing goes with football, by the way. We're all talking about quarterbacks right now in football. Think about how many top draft picks or quarterbacks that suck. Yep. Zach Wilson comes to mind. Guy was taken like number two overall. Can't find the team bus. Like, well, remember, but remember he had that cool throw when he was rolling left and threw it back across his body for five yards. And yeah, right. Like everybody looks good in Arizona and Florida. They they just do. Like if you're drafting guys based off of spring tra- crushing spring training when a bunch of these games are against double A pitchers. I'm sorry, I can't help you in fantasy baseball leagues. Like, if you are in a deep league and there's basically nobody left and you have to cover one of these injured guys that just popped up, like Leody Tavares is going to start the year on the IL, then take a shot. But, like, I'm just not – I need to see it first. I'm not sold on, on Kalenic. And then the Mets fans going, well, Brett Batty rushed it in spring training and didn't make the team. Where are you going to put him? Can you honestly tell me that you're going to play a, a rookie Brett Batty over Eduardo Escobar when you have this much on the line this year? Escobar is not spectacular, but he's a professional hitter. Yeah, I Yeah, I I thought he was going to make it to be honest. I thought they were going to make the switch, but they have so much on the line. And I mean, you're right. I get it. It's, I, he's going to be, when he comes up, if the Mets are going to commit to him full time, he's going to be very intriguing for fantasy purposes. Whereas, and it for is Kalenic, that's just, if, if you drafted Kalenic and you're we're in, we're not like saying a, he didn't make the team, by the way. The Mariners have not fully announced their official. Correct. Correct. Roster. And he did have the second best spring for a member's bat behind only Julio Rodriguez, who you would expect to crush it, right? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to Clinic, I am not rushing out to grab him if I don't own him. And if you drafted him and it's a 12 or 12, 14 team league and you drafted him, I think at this point, because you, you believed in his spring enough to draft him, you have to hold him. I might tell you yeah. to drop him, but I think you're stuck holding him because you need to wait this out because. If you have that hunch, you drafted him. You saw the spring. You were buying the spring. Like we shouldn't be. We just drafted guys a week ago. We there, why are we making ad drops already? There's nothing that's changed Correct. from the time that we draft, unless like like the Reese Hoskins got hurt or Iglesias got hurt. You know, I get that stuff like that happens. But if I did a draft a week ago, I drafted Kalenic, and now I'm gonna drop him for somebody that I didn't draft. Well, I would have had the option to draft that other guy. Why would I have not just done it then? Like. That's the thing coming up for opening day. Like, we just drafted the team. Like, let it play out. Like, you don't draft a running back in fantasy football and then drop him before week one because there's somebody better. Nothing's changed unless there's an injury. Right. So, like, I think you're stuck with Kalenic. Kalenic, if you drafted him, I'm just not rushing out to get him if he's available. And by the way, if he starts hot, I would probably oh, trade him. I'd sell the moon. Just, I would trade him because here's the thing. You have Taylor Trammell and Dylan Moore who are injured, 
and they're coming back, and you can make the argument that now Trammell's probably out longer than Moore because Trammell has a fractured hamate. But if Dylan Moore comes back, they're playing him. That guy's getting into the lineup. Yep. And he's not going to second base and supplanting Colton Wong. And he's not going to play first and take over for Ty France. So where are you sticking Dylan Moore? In clinic spot. In left field. Right? You're not taking Teoscar out of right. You're certainly not taking Julio out of center. And by the way, even if they don't play Dylan Moore in the outfield, you could play AJ Pollock in the outfield and put Dylan Moore at DH. So I'm just not sold on Kalenic. I know that we're supposed to be eating up this great spring he had, and it was, and he made some swing changes and congrats, but he's still striking out yep. like a lot. <laughs> so. And even if he keeps his spot, the strikeout rate is going to keep him in the bottom third of that lineup, which is going to crush run production. And his batting average isn't going to help fantasy managers anyway. Correct. So I'm with you there. Now, Matt, let me ask you this. Tell me what's missing here. Kyle Gibson, Dean Kramer, Cole Irvin, Kyle Bradish, and Tyler Wells. Well, there's a couple of guys. One, one is an injured guy, D.L. Hall, right? He's injured. So he's not gonna he's not gonna be in the rotation. Plus, I like him better in the bullpen, probably. Uh, but the big one and the one you're waiting for me to say is Grayson Rodriguez, and I have no explanation for this. His I, stuff plus was the same as Sandy Alcantara's in spring, and we're talking about matching the reigning NL Cy Young Award winner. It makes no sense. I don't and know. He, I mean, unless they're trying not to, unless they're trying to cap his innings because he did deal with injuries last year. But do minor inning, minor league innings not count the same as major league innings? I understand there's a, a different level of inherited stress, but at the end of the day, you're still going out there lifting your leg, planting your leg, and throwing a baseball. Yeah, but they're less extent. concerned. They're less concerned about the minor league team making the playoffs as compared to their major league team. You can I mean, make the argument that if their offense does what we expect it to do, that they could be the second wild card in the American League. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to point to that he wasn't great in the spring, I mean, sure, he had a ERA north of seven across five starts, but like Bradish was at six six one, Wells was at five seven four. Nobody yeah. else blew the barn doors off in spring training. Like, I mean, right? But I think they're so. I'm with you, but if you look back at last year, he. Didn't even top 80 innings pitch last year. No, no. I mean, I, 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 I knew in draft season that drafting him, I don't even have him in any leagues, to be honest. But it wasn't because I didn't think he was going to make the team. I just knew there was going to be an innings limit, and I just didn't know where it was going to come in. Because it was, you would think, what if he did? You said what, 80 some innings last year? He threw 69 and two thirds in AAA, four and two thirds in AA, and one and a third in high A when he was, you know rehabbing so so about 75 so best case scenario you were getting 120 yeah. right and so my argument is if they send him down to triple a and you have him do some short starts no pressure or even better because triple a starts their season doesn't start exactly lined up with mlb it's close but not exactly so like you give them a little bit of extra leeway to get a little bit more refinement 
done in extended spring training or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then you have them do some short starts in AAA where there's literally nothing on the line. Then you can bring them up later and have that 120 go into the playoffs. Then that's what they're going for, right? I'm not saying that it makes sense, but if you're only going to get 120 innings out of the guy, why blow the 120 innings from April to July? And then what are you going to do with them? No, no, I understand that. But that's one of those – I mean, that's best-case scenario, right, is that they're good enough that at the end of the year that they can maximize his innings when it matters. I still think they'll be okay, but that pitching staff looks vastly different without him in there, simply just without his name in there. I mean, it, it does, but if you – right. But who was in their rotation last year? Because they only – they didn't have John Means for very long because the guy – blew up his elbow, right? They certainly didn't have Grayson in there. D.L. Hall made like one start, blew up, and then got moved to the bullpen. Last year, they had seven pitchers with double-digit starts. We had Jordan Lyles, Kyle Bradish, Tyler Wells, Dean Kramer, Spencer Watkins, Austin Voth, and Bruce Zimmerman. Right. So that is not a very good rotation. You don't, you don't, you don't say. And they won 83 games last year. They finished fourth in the American League East, but they won 83 games. They were in the wild card hunt until like two weeks to go, right? So let's say that offense, and by the way, they didn't exactly have Gunner for the whole year in that offense. They didn't have Adley Rutschman for the entire year in that offense. They didn't have Stowers in that offense, right? So if if you get what you expect to get from the O's offense and their pitching staff is solid enough, they can they can compete for a wild card spot in the American League. And then you have Grayson come up. And he's a boost to the to the rotation. And by the way, you'll get John Means back at some point this year too. So if you can tie Means and Grayson coming back at the same time, that's a lot better rotation. For sure. And who knows? Maybe if they're doing well come summer, maybe this is the year instead of maybe Baltimore, maybe bought ba- or ba- I can't even say it. Maybe Baltimore is a buyer come the deadline. Like they I know, I know that seems far fetched, but we're on the cusp of the Orioles being the the consensus worst team in baseball to being the holy crap. When are they going to be bad again? Because this team is young and this team's dangerous. Yeah, and by the way, they have Colton Cowser coming at some point, right? There was a lot. There seemed to be some discourse about whether Westberg should have made the team or not. Too Westberg probably should have made the team. He probably should have. So he's coming too. Hudson Haskin, a speed demon, is coming up. So they've got a bunch of dudes that are coming up. Um, you know, Joey Ortiz could be decent, not great, but like a decent bench dude for them. Kobe Mayo is in double A, so he's probably a little longer off, but maybe in the second half he's got a shot. Like and what Jackson Holiday in a few years? Yeah, I mean Jackson Holiday is I know it's down the line, but 
down the line, but that guy is very good. He is very scary good. He can play a bunch of different spots. So the outlook is very good for Baltimore right now. And if they add means and Grayson Rodriguez in, let's say, like, I don't know, mid to some sometime in May, both of them come up. Are you telling me that they can't compete with Tampa Bay? I'm not going to tell you that, no. I'm not 100% convinced that Theo's offense isn't better than Tampa's offense. And to I be think, honest, I think Baltimore's stealing. Doesn't, yeah. doesn't, like outside of McClanahan and Glasnow, doesn't scare me. I mean, I really like Springs. I understand what you're saying, but I, I mean, I like Springs, but one year does but I get not what you're saying out. for sure, for sure. I mean, yeah. and then you've got Rasmussen. Like, it should tell you something that Zach Eflin is the has the like the largest free agent contract in the history of Tampa Bay. Yeah, I, I think that dude think was like a fifth starter for Philadelphia. Like, yep. the bullpen, sure, great when Kevin Cash doesn't screw it up. It works, but the question is, does it work for the entire season? And that their offense is solid. I'm not saying the Rays are a terrible team. I'm just saying, are you um if the Orioles can hang with Tampa and then get John Means and Grayson Rodriguez and add a couple of the dudes everybody thought should have made spring training? Can you convince me that Baltimore isn't a very interesting second American League wildcard team? I think the pieces are there. Just like any team, you're going to have to get some stuff that breaks right, but the pieces are there. Correct. How far out of the wild card were they last year? Let's let's remind myself what. um, Let's see. So Baltimore finished three games behind Tampa last year for the third American League wild card behind Toronto and Seattle, who were four games better than the race. And you would think with this team, full season of Rutschman, I mean, full season of Rushman alone. And Henderson. May put them, and Henderson may put them above like that threshold then, then throw in, I don't know, a quarter of the season from Means, maybe half from Gray Rod and whatever else they do. The pieces are there, like we're saying. The pieces are there. I mean, sure. Teams like the White Sox got better because Tony Lewis is no longer there. But Boston got worse, who was behind them. Uh, Minnesota's probably about the same, right? Maybe a little better with the addition of Pablo Lopez, but they lost Luis Arise in that deal, so who knows? have no idea what to expect from the Angels. I like their moves, but it never seems to work out. Texas. Obviously added to Grom and some help with the pitching, but the offense is still a question mark. So there's room there for Baltimore to make the playoffs. Yep. So I'm fine with them keeping Grayson down because if you have Grayson up now, everybody's excited and everybody wants to come to the early season games. And then comes July when you have to shut the guy down because you don't want to blow out his elbow, which has already been blown out. And then you're like, oh, we have to try to make the playoffs with Tyler Wells and Bradish and Kramer rounding out the rotation. Then people get pissed. Yep, I get it. 
All right, Matt. This will be the last episode, last, I guess, technically preseason, spring training, offseason, however you want to call it, that we're doing. Because the next time we talk to people, we will be in season talking about everything that happens in season where our fantasy teams are actually accruing statistics. So the last thing that we'll do for this episode is our bold prediction for the 2023 season. It can be a team. It can be a player. Would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? How about you go first? All right. I will go first. And when I was looking at this, I was like, I want to be bold. How bold can I get with still being realistic? So my first thought was O'Neill Cruz goes 30-30. And then I was like, well, he's a trendy guy. A lot of people like him. They have a lot of homers. So maybe that's not quite bold enough per se. So I said, how about this? Pittsburgh is going to have two members of the 2020 club this year, and it will be O'Neill Cruz and Cabrian Hayes. So that is my bold prediction for 2023. I am all in on Hayes' power this spring. He just had some unfortunate luck last year with a hand or wrist issue. He's healthy. He's lofting the ball. He's driving the ball. He put on muscle. Everything's there for him to break out in the power department. So while I think Cruz has a legit shot at 30-30, for this bold prediction, I'll say both Hayes and Cruz go 2020. That's I can't I can't say that I don't like it. Those are That's all I asked for. Those are pretty solid. I mean, I don't right off the bat I don't have a problem with with anything that's that's happening there. Um I'm trying to pull up I'm trying to remember what exactly I put on my fantasy alarm bolt predictions. Um, that we did, but I can't seem to uh, find the uh, sheet that we filled out for those. Well, I put O'Neill Cruz for 30 home runs there too, so I'm just you're just I'm all in. down. You're just, all in. Um. So, oh, man, bold prediction. Huh? Right, I got it like, here for you. It could be a team or a player or a team or a player. So you have, I mean. You have 30 home runs first time as Varsho. Rodriguez gets 30 stolen bases. Pena goes 20-20 for the first time. I like all of those. <laughs> well, yeah, you put them on the sheet, I so mean, of course you like them. I'm not I just, I'm I not just making stuff up I over like here. Them, I don't, I'm not changing from any of those. I'm fine with your AL MVPs, Kyle Tucker. What? Your AL MVPs, Kyle Tucker, although I love that by the record, but I mean. Dude has just been dominant the last two years. But how does Marshall not hit 30 home runs in a softball park? I don't know. Why don't you just go Kyle, Kyle Tucker goes 30-30 and wins American League MVP? That's what I'm going for. And hits 300. Make it bold. That make would it. be really impressive. if he Make it as bold as the flavor of some of the stuff that you put on that grill of yours. Make it oh that my. bold. I mean, I'm about to make some, I'm about to make some chicken shawarma uh, for opening day, by the way. Um, him hitting 300 would be intriguing. I, I will say Kyle Tucker goes 30-30. That's fine. He was my second favorite hitter in the draft uh, behind Trey Turner, who I think is going to have an absolutely monster season. I, I think he's going to have a monster season. I really do. Um, So I'll go Kyle Tucker going 30-30 and winning the American League MVP. There you got it. So those are our bold predictions for the 2023 season. If you do have any outstanding fantasy baseball drafts, make sure you get your hands on 
our fantasy fantasy alarm fantasy baseball draft guide it is free we got a ton of great content coming for you in season from positional spotlights there's going to be some dfs content as always excited to start making lineups on various sites again looking at player props super excited to get in to the mlb regular season so make sure you give matt a follow at the salesman on twitter for all of your baseball food nascar and everything in between needs i'm on twitter at colby r conway and we will see you next week for the newest edition of the fantasy alarm fantasy baseball podcast